Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. Faith to believe in Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, on the ABC this week, I think it was the radio, they've been... um, having some tricky conversations, that's what they're calling it. And the question this last week was this. Christmas is at your house this year. Half the family are committed Christians and the other half are equally committed atheists. Do you say grace at the table? Do you say grace at the table? Half are Christians, half are atheists. And of course, people have different opinions on what to do in that situation. But... That led me to think, why is there so much um, disagreement about this topic? Why is there, more broadly speaking, disagreement about religion? Why are there so many different beliefs and strongly held beliefs and non-beliefs? Why is saying grace before a meal a tricky question anyway? Um, So if you think about how many different religions there are in the world, uh, there's so much disagreement about how many gods there are is there one God or many gods? There's dis- disagreement whether about whether Jesus is the only way to God or not. There's disagreement about how one can be right with God, whether Jesus is the way of salvation or even if we need salvation. Um, and inside the church, more broadly speaking, inside the church, people have different ideas. There's disagreement how, how God speaks to us today There's disagreement about how we might be blessed by God or who's part of the church or not. Now, why is there so much disagreement? Now, of course, there's room for for differences. Flora, do you want to sit down? Um, Not every theological argument is worth getting into. Uh, There's room for difference in the less clear things. Um, However, in the majors of Christianity, in 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 Christian faith, Christianity 101, the core beliefs... To be a Christian, you need to believe certain things and not believe certain things about Jesus, about God, about the Bible. There are things and beliefs and ideas and theology that is right. And that means there are things and ideas and beliefs about God which are wrong. Christians don't hold to the opinion that if you think it's right, it must be right. We don't hold the approach, the attitude that if it's right for you, then that's okay it's right for you. Um, Today, as we come to Mark's Gospel, we find a theological disagreement. That's what's going on in our text today. Jesus doesn't say to these Sadducees, this group in Judaism, Sadducees, he doesn't say to them, well, you believe that, that's okay. You can go on believing that, that's fine. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Verse 23, he says, you are in error. And verse 27, you are badly mistaken. Jesus says, you are wrong and you're really wrong. Now, not everyone is right, according to Jesus. People earnestly believe what they believe, but the good news is that God helps us to see whether what we believe is is right. He helps us to believe and know what is true, objectively, about God. And he does it through this discussion here in the text on, on this discussion on marriage and the resurrection. So please have your Bible open, uh, and I've got three points 
this afternoon. Point one is an absurd question, and point two, God's word on marriage, and point three, God's word on the resurrection. So, first of all, we're seeing an absolutely ridiculous question, verse 18. It says, Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise offspring for his brother. Now, there are seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman also died. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Now, this part of Mark's Gospel is a series of conflicts between different religious um, groups in Judaism and Jesus. We've seen the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Actually, every single group has had a go at Jesus so far, and now it's the Sadducees' turn. Um, The Sadducees, who are they? Well, they're not really a group like the Pharisees. They're more of a loose affiliation, and they're made up mainly of the wealthy folk of the time, the priestly families. Um, The Sadducees held a few beliefs that made them um, distinct, and it's important to get this before we move on to the rest of the passage. First of all, the Sadducees believed only in the first five books of the Bible. Only in the first five books of the Bible. Um, The Pentateuch, or the Book of Moses, that was their Bible. They ignored the writings and the Psalms and all sorts, the prophets. Secondly, they didn't believe that angels existed. Um, Which, if you notice in the reading, Jesus speaks both about the Book of Moses and angels. Uh, Thirdly, they don't believe in resurrection. They don't think that when a person dies, they, go, uh, they will be raised again. Rather, they thought when a person dies, they go into the ground, they go into the grave, uh, to a place called Sheol, the place of the dead. They believe there is no life after death, no heaven, no hell, no judgment to come, no resurrection. Um, for the Sadducee, when you're dead, you stay dead. And isn't this kind of like what many people believe today? Um, not everyone for sure, but some people do, that uh, there is no afterlife, that this life is all there is, so you've got to make the most of the here and now, that we're simply just stardust and atoms and molecules and in death we return to where we came from. So this is the Sadducees. First five books of the Bible, number two, no angels, number three, no resurrection. So this group, they come to Jesus And they ask him about something they don't believe in, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, What are they doing? They're setting a trap. Uh, The question they ask is deliberately absurd. It's a ridiculous question. It's over the top and on purpose. They're employing a debating tactic, actually, that comes from the ancient Greek philosophers. It's a tactic designed to make your opponent in a debate look silly for believing what they believe. It's a tactic that pushes your opponent's belief to the seemingly absurd, pushes it to the limit. And I think we see it today in stand-up comedy. They, use, they just copy the Greeks, stand-up comedians. They describe things to make it, look, they make it look absurd. That's a Greek thing. And so the Sadducees are doing it right here. They're doing it with the theology of the resurrection. So verse 19, Moses wrote a law. He wrote a law. Moses wrote for us 
uh, a law. So you can find that in Deuteronomy 25. God had provided a way for Israel, in Israel for a family to be raised for a, for a husband who died childless. A near relative would marry the widow and the first child born in that marriage would be counted as the, the dead man's own son or child or daughter. Uh, and it was a way of continuing the family name. So back to verse 19, the Sadducees ask, you know, suppose this situation comes up with a married man who dies before his wife has a child. The brother marries her, but before they can have children, uh, that brother dies as well. And this goes on and on and on and on until this woman has married seven brothers. And then she dies and they don't have children. The family name stops. And the question comes, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since she's since, since seven were married to her. Now, that's not a genuine question. That is uh, making the theology of the resurrection look silly. That's the whole point, the purpose of their question. Uh, it's ridiculous, they think, or they describe it as, a woman married to seven blokes? What's going on there? The resurrection must be a joke. This is rhetoric. This is a trap. Um, they're making the very idea of resurrection so they seem to look wrong. And so, uh, before we move on to what Jesus says to this question, I think it's worth thinking about um, exactly what they're doing here. They are mocking Jesus for what he has taught. They're mocking God's Word, in fact. And I think we see this today as well, mocking uh, particular doctrines, the incarnation, the resurrection, the s- people sneer at the story of the Bible, making light of God. It's a well-used, well-worn, tired tactic And it's always happened. Um, So in the second century AD, the critic Celsus writes about the church that Christians show they want and are able to convince only the foolish, dishonourable, stupid slaves, women and little children. Uh, Christianity seemed utterly stupid to the average Roman citizen. What do they do? They mocked, they ridiculed. Worshipping Jesus, what a joke. The sexual ethic of the scriptures, what a joke. This is what the Sadducees are doing. Resurrection, what a joke. Now, at the same time, we as Christians who believe in the Scriptures, believe God's Word, we can't be smug. We can't be proud in what we believe. We can't have a haughty, I'm right, you're wrong approach to other people. You know, because people have principled reasons for not agreeing with Christianity. And we need to respect people for that. We, we don't want to make light of what they believe, other people believe, but we must be respectful even if we disagree with them. Now, I want to say to Christians that if you are mocked for being a Christian, we don't need, we don't need to let, us, let it get us down either. You know, you might read all, sort of yuck, all sorts of yuck things online or hear, hear um, some snide comments from your mates at work. But just because someone makes fun of your beliefs, it doesn't make them right and you wrong. That's the, that was the debating tactic they're using. Make, deride something so it looks ridiculous and makes them look right. That's their Sadducees tactic, making the belief in the res- resurrection seem ridiculous. Rather, you need to, you know, O Christian, that Christianity is, is logical, rational and reasonable. There are good and sound reasons to believe. And the Bible is the Word of God, whether someone believes it or not, no matter what people think. Uh, So the way to deal with mocking isn't to cave in. It's not to cave in and give up and give up certain beliefs of Christianity. 
But as history shows, Christianity has always been ridiculed. And even though all this has happened and still happens, the church not only survives but spreads and grows. And the way that this happens and still happens isn't by giving up core beliefs. It's not by giving up beliefs that make us different, but by being faithful to them. Hold on to the teaching of Scripture. Believe in God, believe in Jesus and trust in his word, even if other people think you're a goose for believing them. That's the way to go. Now, let's go to Jesus' um, response to the ridicule. Jesus teaches on marriage here and he responds to their criticism. Verse 24, Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. What does he say? You're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. They've denied what God has said. You see, they, they and we are judged by our alignment with the scriptures. The Bible, God's word is the arbiter, the judge of whether our beliefs are right or not. Because the author of the scripture is God. God speaks and he tells us what is right and true. And so our, what we think, what we believe, our ideas must align with scripture to be right. Um, and there are certain non-negotiables uh, when it comes to this. And the resurrection is one. It's a pillar of the faith. To deny the resurrection is to deny God's word and indeed to deny God because he's the one who said it. Uh, but Jesus also says, Sadducees, you don't know the power of God. They have a small view on God. They don't think God could raise the dead or it would be seemingly unlikely for God to raise the dead. And they can't imagine there would be life after death. So they deny what the word says and they deny God's power to bring about resurrection. So verse 25, Jesus addresses the topic of marriage. What they've raised here in this illustration or this this, um, this, this question here. Verse 25, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. Now, why does Jesus compare people to angels here? It sounds a bit, it's a bit strange, um, but it's, I think it's pretty simple in the end because one of the purposes of marriage is to have kids, right? Um, marriage is partly anyway about carrying on the human race. And so, that's not needed when in the resurrection. When Jesus returns and God raises the dead and transforms this, this world at the end, in heaven, in resurrection, people will be like the angels because there's no need for marriage for children to be born. Marriage changes. That's what he's saying. Marriage is made in heaven because God designed marriage, but marriage doesn't, isn't retained in heaven. Marriage is transformed in the future from what we understand marriage to be now into something else. Marriage will be fulfilled in the new creation. Uh, you see, that's the Sadducees' error. That's their error. They thought that marriage in the future will be exactly the same as it is now. That's why they ridiculed the idea, this woman's married to seven guys, what's going on there, Jesus? But no, Jesus says, marriage is different. Your question's not valid. There'll be no marrying or being given in marriage. Now, we might have questions that come up about 
this topic, uh, and I think this passage raises them, um, about relationships, how they work in the new heavens and earth in the age to come. Uh, but what we need to believe now is that marriage will be fulfilled at that time. The resurrection does bring about a change to marriage. And I, that's good news for everyone, I think. It's good news for those of us who've had bad experiences in marriage. Uh, when marriage is not a happy idea, or for other, others of us who feel like we've missed out on marriage. It's good news for those of us who are married as well. Heaven is, we need to believe that heaven, the resurrection is better than now. It's better. You're not going to miss out. Even if um, marriage isn't the same as it is now. In reality, our love for other people will be better than it is now. It will be transformed. Our relationships will be stronger. Um, we'll be with Christ. Um, heaven will be perfect. Now, does this mean our relationships now don't, now don't matter? No, not of course not. Marriage has all sort of, sorts of good things now. Uh, family, children, support, love and so on. These are important reasons for marriage. But most of all, marriage is meant to be appointed to Christ's love for the church. Ephesians 5, marriage is meant to be appointed to Christ's love for the church. Marriage, we're meant to see it in its proper um, context, its redemptive context, a wonderful gift from God, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Marriage is a context which God puts some of us in to grow us more like Jesus. We don't have to build everything and place all our hopes in finding the right man or woman because ultimate happiness is found in Christ. What Jesus teaches about the future of marriage here is good news for everyone, uh, no matter our experience of marriage now. And as Christians, we, um, we all look forward to what will be revealed in heaven when we see Christ. So that's Jesus' teaching on marriage in this short section here. And now Jesus teaches on the resurrection. Verse 26, now about the dead rising. Have you not read the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. You are badly mistaken. You're wrong, he says, Sadducees, you are mistaken. And he takes them to Exodus, which Noel read out before, where God declares there that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now, that passage might not be the first passage that you would go to to prove the theology of the resurrection, but that's where Jesus goes and he knows better than you. So, Exodus chapter 3 proves that the dead will rise. But how, how does it prove the dead will rise? Because God, in the present tense, is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He is still their God even though they have died. He's God of the living and not the dead. Yes, their bodies are in the grave, but spiritually they're alive, they're in heaven. And if they are alive... If God is their God, at some point you've got to realise their bodies will have to come back to life because God made us to live in our bodies. That's what we are. We're not made to live as spirits. We're made to live in our bodies. We're not complete without them. God is God of the living. He's God of the living, not the dead. The Sadducees, in their theology, were saying... When, the when, the person, when a person dies, they go to the ground, that's it. That's what they were saying. 
Death is it. That's the end. We go back to being just dust. But if that's right, if that's right, what does that mean for God's salvation? It makes it pretty weak, doesn't it? You know, God's covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and so on, to, the, to, the, to Israel and to the church, the salvation in Jesus, God's promises would be only for a few short years, 80 or so maybe, give or take. It wouldn't be much for salvation, would it, if death ended it? Death would smash the promises of God. But that's not the God we serve. God is the God of the living. He's God of the living. His commitment to his people is stronger than death. And he's proven this once and for all with the raising of Jesus. You see? The resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of our hope for the future. It's the yes to all of God's promises. The resurrection of Jesus is the assurance that all who trust in him will likewise be raised. It's the promise that death, even our death, is not it. It's not the end. There is more and much more to come. Jesus says in Revelation 1, verse 7, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has smashed death. He broke its power because God is the God of the living. And that's our hope. Is that your hope? In this passage today, he's, um, Jesus has taught about a couple of topics here, hasn't he? He's answered their question. The Sadducees, though they mock Jesus and the belief in the resurrection, he's more than, I think, more than answered their question. He's, he's turned the tables on them. He's shown them how they're badly mistaken. But how did he do it? How did Jesus answer their question and this is I think the main point of the passage how did how did Jesus answer their their um, their ridicule of him how does Christ want us to answer those who disagree with us I think this passage teaches us a vital lesson that the answers to the ridicule are found in the Bible we, we, go, we need to go to the scriptures that's what Jesus does here and the good news is that Jesus helps us to see that whether what we believe is right, he helps us to believe and know what is true objectively about God and he answers their question, even their challenging question, through the word of God. You can trust the scriptures, you can trust the Bible and the person who knows the Bible will always be able to give an answer for the hope they have in the gospel. For us, for you and I, we need to be well familiar with it, with the Word of God like Jesus is here. In other words, we, we can't be like the Sadducees. The Sadducees were in error. What, why were they in error? Because they did not know the Scriptures, nor the power of God. They didn't know the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Rather, Christian, we need to meditate, as the psalm says, meditate on the Word day and night. And we need to be convinced that God is powerful and he's able to carry out what he's promised. He is able and powerful to carry out his word. Jude 3 says we are to contend for the faith that has been entrusted to the saints. And this is the way that we 
we will be able to answer people's questions, navigate objections, and even our own questions and mockery. The scriptures have the answers. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that we would, we have it so freely accessible to us. Lord, we confess that we don't know your word as, as, as much as we should. We don't read it as much as we should. Help us to, to learn from you. Please, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Where is he able to lead us?